I already gave the answer away, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. What is the greatest blessing that anyone can receive? It is, and it's one that we do not deserve. See, that's, that's the idea. It's an undeserved blessing. You know, the Scripture tells us that during a famine, it's written in 1 Kings, during a famine, the Lord told Elijah to go to a town in Sidon, and uh, he said to live there, and that he had told this widow, some widow that Elijah didn't know, but he told this widow to give Elijah food. So when Elijah arrived, he saw a widow that was gathering sticks, and the Scripture doesn't tell us how he identified her as a widow, probably by the way she was dressed. He saw her gathering sticks for a fire, so he asked her for some water and some bread. But she told him she had no bread. In fact, all she had was a small amount of flour and oil, which she planned to cook up for her and her son, and then she was preparing to die. She had a small amount of food. Elijah assured her that everything was going to be okay, and he told her to go ahead home, fix something for her and her son, but first bring a little bit to him. That's a tall request. She only had a small amount. It wasn't even enough for her, and this is during a time of famine. It was not, was not enough for her and her son. But she was to bring him a little to satisfy him. And then he told her that the Lord God of Israel had promised that the food would not run out before he brought rain. Now, in 1 Kings, chapter 17, verses 15 and 16, we learn that the widow went home, did exactly what Elijah said. She and Elijah and her family had enough food to sustain them for a very long time until God sent the rain. You see, we don't hear where God picked her for a particular reason. We don't know why he picked that widow, except perhaps he knew her heart that she would, in fact, obey. Because God, in his word, says that this widow was chosen by him to give Elijah food out of some little bit that she had. Think about that. If God calls upon you to obey him in giving some small amount of whatever small amount you have, in your life, whatever that is, to whomever it is that he says to give it to, will you obey him? Because that's really what that is about. It's about obedience and God's blessing coming upon that woman whom he chose, God chose, and there's, there's no reason given why he chose her. We can guess that it was because he knew she'd be obedient. But nothing in that account relates anything that that woman had done that would cause God to choose her. She received the blessing through her faithful obedience. Think about it. This relates to our Creator. He has given all of us a blessing. He loved us. It's not because of anything we've done, but because we have obeyed Him. He's bestowed His favor upon humankind. And we simply need to respond to His call obediently. In fact, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him 
would not perish, but have everlasting life. And you see, that's the blessing. That is the blessing. Many today say that all that's required is that you believe. You make a mental assent and you believe. You believe that God sent His Son. You believe that you receive what it is that He offers. But the Scripture shows us a different picture than that. Yes, we believe, for if we do not believe, we will not receive. We must believe to receive what God has to offer. There's nothing that we can do to get God's favor. We believe. But at the same time, we have to remember that the one we call Jesus, Yahashua, his Hebrew name, he said to repent. He said, turn from your sins. Have a change of mind and a change of heart. So yes, we believe, and that is shown in the fact that we turn from all of those things that displease God. It's observed in the way that we respond to His call. We need to walk His way, not our own. God's blessing is found in Christ. Walking obediently in Christ. Says He is the Ark of the Covenant. We must be in Christ to receive that blessing. We need to change our mind about sin. We need to live in Christ. Even though we can do nothing to make God give us something. God's blessing is found in Christ, walking obediently in Christ. Walking by faith, not by sight. And sometimes it's difficult. And most people won't tell you that. Oh, come to Jesus and everything's going to be good. But Christ our Lord said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And He said, in the world you will have great tribulation, persecution. He said, if you love me, though, keep my commandments. You see, you believe and your belief is observed in the way in which you live your life. It's observed in how you obey what it is that he calls for you to do, just like the widow who obeyed in giving some small little bit. And it's not just about giving, folks. It's about hearing his voice and doing what it is that he says to do, whatever that is. Keeping his commandments, though, is not well understood today. It's not. There are few that understand what it means to keep his commandments. He said, go into all the world... Preach the gospel, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them everything that I taught you. This is what he told his disciples, the apostles. And that follows out to all of us. He wants us to learn, because that's what we need to do first, learn what he taught, and then take it out and share it with others. And that's part of the process of discipling others. Sadly, between easy believism and hyper-grace, we have a so-called Christian church that is lacking in the power of God. We have powerless believers. They're not operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. They don't even know what it is. They haven't been taught. They haven't learned. They refuse to function in the blessing of God. 
And this is why we have so many that name the name of Christ who are not operating in the fullness of His power and His authority. Everlasting life's a blessing of God. It's written about extensively in God's Word, and it begins with our conversion. We are converted from enemies of God to friends of God. We are converted from being away from God to being in His presence. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we've lost a lot of that. We don't even know what that means necessarily. We need to believe, yes. But do we really believe? What do we believe? What have we been taught to believe? You know, God used healing and deliverance to spread His blessing. And there's so few today that even believe that that's possible. It's unfortunate, because God shows in His Word that that's exactly what He did. Because many people were converted when they saw the signs, when they saw the miracles, when they saw the blessing of God falling on someone perhaps who was blind or someone perhaps who was lame. When God fell down on people and they changed dramatically in front of other people, suddenly others knew this was an act of God. And the religious people at that time, they said, oh, no, he's doing this in the power of the devil. Unfortunately, they didn't receive the blessing. It's sad. As we live and have our existence in Christ, we also draw others out of powerless darkness into His marvelous light. Preaching the Word brought the blessing to whosoever would believe. And I dare say it means whosoever. Whosoever. God used healing and deliverance. And today we want to poo-poo that. Eternal life is offered to everyone regardless of whatever their background is. It doesn't matter what ethnic background they have. It doesn't matter if they're male or female. It doesn't matter if they're family heritage. It doesn't matter if they're rich or poor. God's blessing is offered to all. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved shall be. But what does it mean, call upon the name of the Lord? What does that mean, to call upon the name of the Lord? And I had to look, because I have a general idea in my mind, what I, I know what it means, but I didn't know how to describe it to you all. And so I consulted with some sources, And I'll bring some of that. But I, I want to go back for a moment, because we look at that word, whosoever, will call upon the name of the Lord, and some say, well, it doesn't mean everybody. There are those in the so-called Christian church that say it doesn't mean everybody. And I say, well, God said whosoever, and I have to look at the, the meaning of that word. You know, what does that mean, whosoever? It means everybody and anybody. That's what it means. Everybody and anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be.
Listen to what's written in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 23. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? How do you get around that one whenever you say, well, he doesn't mean everybody? He created some for destruction. I heard myself with my ears fellow Christians say. But that's not what God's Word says. In fact, in Ezekiel 18 and 32, it's written, For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, says the Lord God, wherefore turn yourselves and live ye. Live! That's what he wants. He wants all of his creation to live. He has provided everlasting life so that we might enjoy that in his presence forever. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, we learn that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And also in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, it's written, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Some come to repentance. Many come to repentance. All come to repentance. You see, that's what it means to believe. You turn from everything that displeases God, you repent. It's an old word. We don't like to hear it anymore. But that's what God's Word says. And this is why the Christ instructed His followers to go everywhere and preach the good news. Because the opportunity to receive the blessing is for all. In Romans chapter 10, it's written, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, as I said earlier. But how then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? I had somebody in this congregation one time say, well, why do we have to listen to a preacher? I said, you don't. You don't have to listen to a preacher. Read God's Word for yourself, pray for the Holy Spirit to come down upon you and give you clarity in what His Word means. You don't have to listen to me. I'm not telling you to leave, but God will guide you in His Word. He's given me the gift to be able to preach and proclaim His Word. He takes me and He molds me every week into the message that He wants me to deliver. Sometimes it's a painful process, I'll tell you. A true preacher who preaches the Word of God, the whole counsel of God's Word, is what's needed. I pray to be that in this congregation. But what does it mean, again, to call upon the name of the Lord? The Thayer's Greek lexicon gives an in-depth definition for what it means. Some of the others are smaller. It means this or means that or whatever, but it has parts. They have different parts. It means to invoke, to pray to, to call upon for oneself in one's behalf as a helper, as a witness, and dare I say what it says, as a judge. Judge me, Lord, that I might be found worthy to serve you. Call upon the name of the Lord. It also means to put a name upon, to surname. We all have family names. My family name happens to be Pistorius. But 
to put that surname on me is to be named after someone. And in the case of those who follow Christ, we are called Christians. We add that name to us. That's what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. That's a piece of it, to be surnamed. Another idea found in that phrase is an expression finding its explanation in the fact that prayers addressed to God ordinarily began with an invocation of the divine name. We speak of our Creator as our Father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, because we don't forgive anybody else. No, that's not what it says. It says, as we, in the manner in which we forgive others. So when we're begging God's mercy, we're saying we're giving mercy also. And sometimes it's very difficult for us to do that. Sometimes It is required, absolutely. Peter wrote, speaking of the Christ, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through Him believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. That's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. See, God's Word is true. God makes it clear. He brought the blessing through Christ. Everlasting life is the hope that we have in Christ. You see, when God had prepared to bring the flood upon the earth, which many people don't even believe happened anymore, but when God brought that flood, He had this fellow named Noah who He instructed to build a boat, an ark. And that guy Noah, he spent some 120 years or so building that, and he was ridiculed, he was persecuted for doing it. Nobody even knew what rain was at that time. But God said, everybody who's in the boat, I'm going to save. Anybody who's outside of the boat, forget it. You're done. And what happened? Eight people got in. Eight people had faith. Eight people believed to the saving of their lives. And he tells us that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And he tells each of us to go into all the world. And as I said earlier, that includes our little corner of it, wherever it is that he happens to have planted us in this earth. And so often we want to run off to some other land somewhere. And I know that there's a need all over the world, folks, but there's a need right here in this land right now today. There are souls that are dying and going into that everlasting torment that Almighty God calls hell, and they will never get out. And He has given us a charge to go out there and draw them out of that darkness that they're living in, that powerless darkness, into His marvelous light. But the church has a problem with that. Oh, there are many that do go into all the world and do that. So often today we want to do a mission trip. We want to go somewhere else, exotic, someplace we've never been before. 
God makes it clear that right here, wherever He has us, there are souls that need what He own, He is the only one can offer. Christ gave His earthly life as the sacrifice to pay for sin. And His obedience brings us the undeserved blessing. In the fifth chapter of Romans, we find a powerful testimony of the undeserved blessing that God provided for humankind. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by His blood, His work, what He did, having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, shall be saved. We shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You see, we've been reconciled and we shall be saved. Don't lose sight of that. There are people that think right now, I'm saved and there's nothing I can do to stop that. But he says we shall be saved. When we were helpless and sinful, Christ died for us. We were under the curse of death because death was what we earned. The wages of sin is death. Now, in Galatians chapter 3, we hear this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been a, become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And that's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 23, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And when did God make that promise? When did He make that promise? God promised through the prophet, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. That's written in Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 27. You will, he said, I will put my spirit in you and you will obey me. That's what he says. That's God's Word. And then we have those today who say, oh, that Old Testament stuff, that's not for us. He says it is. It's pretty clear. He's going to cause us to walk in His statutes, His people. And we've been grafted in. So we don't get into that. That's a whole other message. But It's the Holy Spirit of Almighty God who strengthens us against sinning. He strengthens us to resist temptation. 
He strengthens us to do what our Lord taught His followers to do. Go and sin no more. Lest the worst thing come upon you. That's what our Lord said. Don't go out and sin it up. Go and sin no more. Ask Him for strength. I have people that ask me, well, Pastor, you know, I, 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 I sin. I said, well, I know. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all lost our way, and sometimes we stumble in our walk. But how do you come out of that? They ask me. Turn to Him. Simple. Turn to Him. God, I'm sorry. There are times things come out of my mouth that I would prefer didn't. That's the truth. I confess my sin before the congregation. If you want confirmation, my wife could tell you. I'm not proud of that. How can blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth, Paul said? But do I stay there? Do I just remain there? Well, I'm under grace. I can do whatever I want. After all, Jesus saved me. He cast away all my sins from the east is from, as far as the east is from the west. Past, present, and future. That's what people tell me whenever they're in sin. And I say, well, you know, he also tells us to repent, turn from that. And see, that's the point. We need to turn immediately. As soon as we acknowledge that, as soon as we recognize that we have erred, Father, I'm sorry, I, I, please strengthen me against this especially those weaknesses that overtake believers. We see believers who get overtaken in sin, and, and the Scripture warns it's not a good place to be. We don't want anybody to find themselves at that moment when they stand before our Lord, and He says, who are you? I, I don't know you. And they say, well, wait a minute, well, I, I preached in your name, I, I, I taught, and, 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 and I cast out demons in your name, and I, I did all these things, and what do you mean you don't know me? I don't want anybody to, to hear that. But he says there will be those who do. He promised his Holy Spirit would guide us would teach us. said, you need none to teach you but the Holy Spirit. And there may come a time, folks, we can't meet in a building like this. There may come a time when groups of you will be gathered together in some place in hiding. The way the world's going, it won't be long, in terms of eternity especially. The Holy Spirit's a blessing placed upon and within believers. He teaches us how to follow Christ. You see, in following, it's like a military thing, okay? When people are in the military, they follow the one that is leading. They're following as they lead. So they're walking in the direction that the other is leading them in. They're not walking their own way. They're not doing their own thing. Jim couldn't keep up with me with the camera. He's like, what happened to the pastor? You don't walk your own way. You walk His way. He's the supreme in command. That's what the word Lord means. When we look in the New Testament, we see Him called Lord all the time. He's the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, Lord Jesus, Lord Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Christ Jesus. 
He's the Lord. He is the leader. He's the one that gives us the way to go. He's the one that says, obey me. And still, there are believers today, they believe, but you know, the devils believe and they tremble. There are believers today who say, all I have to do is believe. But the Scripture tells us the demons believe. And I say, cast them out. They're not welcome. They're not welcome in the body of Christ. They have no place in the body. They believe. For scarcely a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. This offers an obvious truth. Who of us wants to die for somebody who's wicked? Who of us wants to sacrifice anything of ours for someone who is in sin? That's what Christ did. And if we're Christ-like, He's calling us to be willing to obey Him even to sacrificing some little bit of whatever it is that we have. If we have a little bit of strength, He wants us to sacrifice some of it for Him. If we have a little bit of ability, He wants us to use it for Him. The Holy Spirit leads us from this life to the next. He teaches us how to follow Christ. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. That's written in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12 is where it's written, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. You see, that's the undeserved, or as some say, unmerited favor of God. It's His blessing. He places it in and upon His believers. Our Lord and Savior said, Greater love has no one than this, I know I'm jumping around a little bit. Hope Tony's able able to keep up. She knows me well enough to know. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And he said, you're my friends if you do whatever I command you. You don't get to be his friend and just go do your own thing. You're his friend if you do what he says to do. That's what he said. If somebody else told you something different, I'm sorry. I apologize. And I hope that you will hear what your Lord, if in fact he is your Lord, what your Lord said. You're his friends if you obey him. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I want to pick that Romans chapter 5 passage apart a little bit because there's a lot of depth in there. There's a whole lot more that I'm going to express, but I want to give you some details. In 1 
Thessalonians chapter 5, it tells us that Christ died for us, that whether we awake or sleep, we should live together with Him. We are beneficiaries of God's love by Christ's sacrifice. That's the blessing that was undeserved. We might think we deserved it because, after all, we live such great lives. You know, we puff up our chests a little bit, put back our shoulders. I deserve it. We don't deserve anything. As a result of His sacrifice, we live together with Him here and hereafter. We receive the blessing of God through Christ, and it's unity with Him forever. Those last couple of verses there, verse 9 and 10, more, much more than, having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Notice it's written that we shall be saved from wrath. We shall be saved by His life. In John chapter 5 it's written, Verily, verily, I say unto you, this is Christ Himself speaking, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. What does it mean to believe? We've already touched on some of it. What does it mean to believe? Obedience. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar. That's what's written. And the truth is not in him. This is John, the beloved disciple, the one that was nearest to Christ, the youngest of the disciples, most likely. He said, whoever says, I know him, and doesn't obey him, is a liar. The truth isn't in him. And so when you see so-called believers, followers, presumably of Christ, saying, I believe, I know Him, but they're not obeying Him. He calls them liars. They profess to know God. It's written in Titus chapter 1 and verse 16, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. They deny Him. Wait a minute, they profess to know Him. They profess to know Him. But in the way that they live, they deny Him. I believe, they'll tell you proudly. I'm a believer. How dare you judge me? Who do you think you are? I don't judge anybody, but God's Word does. In Romans chapter 1, it's written, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of things, evil things disobedient to parents, 
undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. That's a big one in the church today. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. You see, we have demonic nations that have taken over the body of Christ. We don't call them demonic nations usually. We call them denominations. But they're demonic nations. They bring doctrines of devils. And they're teaching people to walk away from Christ, all the while proclaiming that they're teaching them to follow Him. And that is the deception. If they live lives righteously... They recognize the Word of God as the truth, and they follow what He teaches in His Word. No matter what anybody else says, no matter what anybody else teaches. If I teach something falsely, you need to tell me, Pastor John, let's sit down and talk about this. We need to rightly divide the Word of God, and there are people that tell me that. They'll tell me a false doctrine, and then they'll say, but we need to rightly divide the the Word of God. And I say, you're right, I agree 100%. We need to rightly divide the Word of God, and let's look at what God's Word says about what you said. Oh, that's a problem passage, I've had people tell me. No, the passage isn't the problem. Your doctrine is the problem. Believing is observed in our obedience, folks. As I wrap this up, I want you to know that. It is seen, it is observed, it's exemplified in how we obey. I was listening to a a message from the departed Adrian Rogers, great uh, orator, and he was talking about obedience. This is after I already had my notes written, and I thought, okay, Lord, thanks for bringing this. I didn't need anything of what he said, but I remember thinking to myself, it's not just me. I'm not the only one. There was somebody else that preached the Word of God who said, you need to obey. There are hymns in our hymnal. In fact, maybe I can pull one up real quick. We've got time. What's that, Rosalie? Yeah. Yeah, we we sang part of this the other night. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in this life than to trust and obey. It's a beautiful hymn. We need to sing that one of these Sundays. Obeying His commandments requires us to know them. Where do we find them? In His Word. It's so easy. And, And we try to complicate it. Human beings try to complicate it. But He makes it so easy. He says... Here's the manual. Follow what's here, and it'll go well for you. 
Oh, maybe not necessarily in this life, because he does say there will be persecution, there will be tribulation, there will be troubles. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. You're going to get wet just like everybody else. Things are going to happen to you that maybe you wouldn't like. But by faith, you can keep turning to him. As I finish, I want to ask you a simple question. Do you want the blessing of everlasting life? You don't deserve it. But do you want it? Trust and obey. For there's no other way. It's the greatest blessing you can ever receive. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. Lord, we thank You that even though we were dead in sin, Christ died, brought us back to life. Help us, Lord, to believe. We, we believe, Lord. Help us with our unbelief. We want to serve You. I believe each one in this room, Lord, is here because they want to know more of You. They want to serve You. They want to be filled with Your Spirit, operating in the power that only You can provide. So I pray, Lord, I ask, because Your Word tells us we have not because we ask not, and so I'm asking. I'm asking, Lord, that You would pull, pour Your Spirit out on this congregation and pull out anything that doesn't belong in those who are following You who are within the sound of my voice. That You would give the spiritual blessings that You promise. That You would enable the gifts from Your Spirit to be manifest in this congregation that each of us would be filled with Your Spirit, that we would walk in the spiritual blessing of unity with Christ forever. I pray, Lord, not just for those who are here, but those who will receive this message by other means for however long it exists. And I pray this all in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. To God be the glory.